All right. We looked this morning at time in the new year, and this is the second part of that, time in the new year. So look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So this morning we saw that time is short and that we have a time of need and that there is a time of refreshing coming. But tonight, what I want us to look at is, first of all, what does it mean to redeem the time? What does that mean? Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. The Bible says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming your time and then the time. And then it shows what you're going to do in order to accomplish that. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Um, when I see that verse, let your speech be always with salt, with grace, I think of uh, Mark Rasmussen, my friend, he would quote this verse all the time. And he texted me today um, a joke that is just perfect for you guys. So the Calvinist who fell in love with a girl named Grace because she was irresistible. <laughs> is that terrible? I loved it. And that Santa Claus was a Calvinist because he has a beard and thinks he knows everything. <laughs> That's All right, so blame Mark Rasmussen. Don't blame me. Mark Rasmussen. Anyway, so when we speak, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. So when we're, when we're looking at this redeeming the time, we're supposed to walk in wisdom. In Ephesians, it's walk circumspectly. Walk in wisdom, walk circumspectly, and then watch your speech and how you're interacting with people. So we're supposed to redeem the time. The idea of redeeming the time, as we said this morning, is to take it back. Get in control of your schedule and take it back. 2019 can be your best year ever. If you begin before 2000, we have two days left to make these plans. Isn't that awesome? To where you can start telling every minute what to do. Now, some people, like for me, I hate schedule. I hate that. So that sounds terrible to me to have to have a schedule every minute of the day. No, no, no. That's not what that means. What it means is have a plan for your time. If you want unscheduled time, plan it to be unscheduled for a period of time and then get back on your schedule. So take that time back and plan to use it for God. But then not only are we supposed to redeem the time, we need to fill the time. We need to fill the time. Have you ever looked back on a day and said, man, I wasted this whole day? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one. And look at verse 17. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. 
pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So that's why you're in this life, live it in fear of God. What does that mean? That means recognizing who God is, that it's God who gave you the time. God has a plan for your life. God has something he wants you to do. So pass that time on this earth in fear of God. Now, remember, we, we talk, every time we talk about the fear of God, the definition that's always used is that fear is reverential awe. No, it's fear. It's fear. And we don't need to fear him if we are doing what he says. Otherwise, that chastening of God is going to come on your life. And you, the Bible says no chastening for the moment seems joyous but grievous. We don't want that grievous chastening, do we? So let's, so, let's, let's spend the time, pass the time of our sojourning here in fear. Uh, this, this is such a great statement. It's from a guy named Arnott. And it says, beware of emptiness, empty hours, empty hands, empty companions, empty words, empty hearts draw in evil spirits as a vacuum draws in air. To be occupied with good is the best defense against the inroads of evil. Isn't that good? Man, how many of you your parents made sure that you had something to do. Why? Because when you didn't have something to do, you were getting in trouble. So they gave you something to do. You know, that never goes away. The times when people go into sin is when they have time on their hands that is not being filled with something that is good. You've got to fill your mind, do good things on purpose. Fill your time. And we all, it's like money. You know, when it came time to raise money for the church building, I had several preachers, several old preachers. I said, you know, we don't have a lot of wealthy people in our church. And every one of them said this to me. They have more money than you think they do. They have more money than you think they do. So I thought we were going to raise 150000 and we raised like 380000 or something. Why? Because you guys have more money than I thought you do. <laughs> so ushers, come forward. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. And here's the deal. You have more money than you think you do. It's interesting how all of that works when you start telling it where to go. You have, how many of you have already experienced that through financial peace? We, we did. That I actually had more money than I thought I did when, I actually got in, when Laura actually got in control of it. Okay, and, and that's the way it is in our house. She does it, and why? Because she's better at it. And so it's the same thing with our schedules. You have more time than you think you do. You just have to take control of that time and fill it with things that are good. Really important. So redeem the time, fill the time. And then, this is interesting, affect the time. Affect the time. Listen to what Spurgeon said. What in a Christian minister is the most essential quality for securing success in winning souls for Christ? Really good question. So Spurgeon. Let me read it again. What in a Christian minister is the most essential quality for, for securing success in winning souls for Christ? Answer, earnestness. And if I were asked a second or a third time, I should not vary the answer. Success is proportionate to the preacher's earnestness. One of the things that we need to remember in all of this time that we spend with friends, with family, with co-workers, who we have tried to give the gospel to, the thing that's going to have the greatest effect on those people is not what we have said to this point. It's how we have lived since we said it. Do we really live what we believe? 
I've told you about the guy that I worked with at Circuit City when I was in college, a guy named Greg Vanskoy. I gave him the gospel. He was a great guy, good friend at work. I really enjoyed spending time with him. I gave him the gospel, and he said, if I believed this, if I really believed this, I'd have to give my life to it. That's interesting, isn't it? If I really believed this, I'd have to give my life to it. What he meant was, if what I was telling him was true about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of belief in that for eternal life or hell is your eternity, he said, then I would have to give everything I have to tell other people about that. That doesn't mean you stop your job. What it means is that you live your life as if you genuinely believe those things. And it changes everything. The, the, the statement that I've made is we need to affect the time. And all of us, whatever our level of spiritual growth is, we need to hear this and we need to be reminded of this. That when we are out in... It's so interesting. One of the saddest things I've seen is people, they get saved, they get on fire for the Lord, and they spend the next several years giving the gospel to their family. Then they get mad at something in church and go out and start living like the devil. What do you think those family members think? Because that little thing that made them angry was more important to them than the eternity of their loved ones. Isn't it amazing how petty we can be? It's just crazy. Laura and I were talking today about when my parents died. And so when mom died, there wasn't really any issue about whose property, you know, who was going to get what. Because dad still lived in the house. And the last thing dad needed at that point was a bunch of scavengers crawling over mom's stuff. Right. So when dad died a couple of years ago, I was a little concerned about what would happen with the family. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about over silly trinkets? They didn't have anything that was worth anything. And so I was I was concerned about that. And my brother and I said to each other that we're not going to fight over anything. And I took full advantage of that and got some really cool stuff. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We said that we're not going to fight over anything, but I wasn't sure how my sisters were going to do. And it was the, the coolest thing I've ever seen. Just the way that, the, so moms, all of mom's stuff, they put a bunch of it on the dining room table and everybody would take turns going and just taking something. And what they, what they would say before they took anything was, is there anyone that this is really important to, this particular item? is, And every once in a while, one would say yes or whatever. It was just such a wonderful thing. Now, here's the good news. We're all saved. Everybody in my family, everybody was saved. So it wasn't really a testimony thing at that point. What about you guys when you have family members and family situations and people that you've been witnessing to for years and years and years? And they see you in those moments. How are you going to behave? How are you going to affect that moment? And is your behavior going to affect that moment, which is a piece of eternity? Are you going to affect it in a positive way for the cause of Christ? Or are you going to ruin someone's opportunity to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, here's what people say. It's not fair. That's not fair. And it's not fair. That's not the point. The point is, what is that eternal soul worth?
Is it worth more than that watch or that table? Is it worth more than that figurine? Is that life worth more than a trinket? Do you see how we get in our heads? We get things so messed up. And here, I understand, nobody can push your buttons like your family can. Right? They can bring stuff out in you. You have a career. You're doing everything, and everything's fine. You get with your family, and you're 12 again. That's why you need to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. And that you, your words are always seasoned with salt so that you know how to answer every man. Why? So you can affect that moment. It's so important that we understand that. And then, so first we said redeem the time, then fill the time and affect the time. Then number four, recognize the preciousness of time. Barlow said this, time is a section cut out of the great circle of eternity and defines for us the limits in which the work of life must be done. How about that? Is that a great statement? Let me read it again. And this is one of those that I should have put up on the screen, but listen, listen to it carefully. Time is a section cut out of the great circle of eternity and defines for us the limits in which the work of life must be done. It's interesting how crazy the world is. Um, there's, there's a book, it's the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. So I looked up the definition of time. Now listen to what this knucklehead wrote. It is debatable whether the Bible contains enough information to formulate a full-scale doctrine of time. Can I read that to you again? I wish this guy was here so I could just slap him real hard. It is debatable whether the Bible contains enough information to formulate a full-scale doctrine of time. Well, where else would you go to formulate a doctrine but the Bible? Isn't that crazy? Let me read on. He makes a good statement here. Nonetheless, the significance of the biblical concept of time is unmistakably the way it uniformly presents God at work in guiding the course of history according to his saving plan. So remember, history is his story. When we look back at history, where the, the Bible says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, Isaiah 46, 9. What we're supposed to do is when we study history, we're supposed to look at God and look for the hand of God in that. Time is the tool that God has given us to measure our opportunity. That's what time is. It's the tool that God has given us to measure our opportunity to serve him. Because remember we said this morning, and I don't believe I quoted the passage, but what is life? It's but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. That is what life is. Someone has said that life is a dressing room for eternity. This life is our dressing room for eternity. So everything that we're going to have in eternity, we're basing that on what we do now. Now, aren't you glad that most of it is the gift from God for us? But if we're going to have anything to give to him, that's being affected by what we do now. And we have to recognize the preciousness of this time. Let me read that statement to you again. Time is a section cut out of the great circle of eternity and defines for us the limits in which the work of life must be done. Because we need to understand something. I'm talking about the preciousness, the preciousness of time. Time's going to end. Look at Revelation chapter 10. Start reading in verse 1. 
Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. Now, on our Wednesday night Bible study coming up, we might actually study this passage and, and trace down the mighty angel. But let me tell you, I think that this mighty angel here is Jesus Christ. I think this is Jesus. All right. So now uh, look at what it says. Here, you, you'll see some, some uh, clues that that's what it is. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was, as it were, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. So how many of you already see from Revelation 1 and Revelation 5 the descriptors of Jesus Christ for this angel? All right. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Now, that little book, there are some commentators that believe that it's the, uh, seven, that's the book with the seven seals. Well, that's not a little book. That, that book's 15 by 30 according to Zechariah chapter 6, or Zechariah chapter 5. So what is this little book? Pretty interesting. Um, and cried with a loud voice, verse 3, as when a lion roareth, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, unto me seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth. So here's, here's Jesus. He's got his foot, one foot on the sea and one foot on the earth. And he has this little book in his hand. All right. And, he, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Time's precious, isn't it? But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants and prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So Jesus Christ comes and he has this little book and he gives it to John and he tells John to eat it. Now, whether it's he's telling John to read it and digest what it's saying. Or if you told him to really eat it, it looks like he's telling him to really eat it. And he eats this book and it's, it, it starts as sweet and it becomes bitter in the belly, kind of like White Castle. <laughs> it, that, that's what's, it, it's, it's such an interesting thing because what is this little book? Let's find out what this little book that's now opened is. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Time's no more. Time is no more. The preciousness of time. 
All right, Daniel chapter 12, look at verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Now, that's not the book we're talking about. We're going to see something else in a minute. But this time of trouble, that's the tribulation period. Verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So this, those of the dust of the earth that awake, that's the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel, trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's the rapture. These people that, that arise to everlasting life, that's Revelation chapter 20, where they, or I'm sorry, to uh, shame and con everlasting contempt. That's Revelation 20, where they come before the great white throne judgment. Two different things happening there, uh, separated by that comma. Verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Now notice what it says, the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, can you imagine, so if, as Daniel's looking ahead to our time, jet travel, space shuttles, does, can you imagine Daniel seeing things running to and fro? And how about knowledge being increased? You, you kids have more information in your hand than Isaac Newton had at his, at his fingertips. You've got greater access to information than anyone at any time in the history of the world. Knowledge is increased. That's where we are. All right. Then look at verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river, which makes me think of the joke that there's a blonde and a boat on one side of the lake. And she sees a blonde in a boat on the other side of the lake. And so she yells to her. She says, hey, how do you get to the other side of the lake? The, the blonde on the other side of the lake scratches her head, and she yells back, you are on the other side of the lake. But anyway, that's what that kind of looks like right there. Verse 6. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and in half. So what is that? Three and a half years. When is this time of trouble like has never been? The second three and a half years of the tribulation period. That's exactly what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 25. Exactly the same statement, okay? Then, middle of verse 7, And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end, sealed till the time of the end. Notice it doesn't say the end of time. It's the time of the end. That book is sealed up until the beginning of the end. 
What this does is this demonstrates when the times of the Gentiles end and when God is going to begin working again with Israel. Go to Luke chapter 21. The preciousness of time. All right, so Luke chapter 21. This is the same message. This is the Olivet Discourse, the same message from uh, Matthew chapter 25, but Luke chapter 21, verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and upon earth, distress of nations and perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. So what's this talking about? This tribulation period. At the, when, when all of these things come to fruition, those times, time, and half a time, when that, those three and a half years at the end of the tribulation period, that second half are fulfilled, then they're going to see the sign of the Son of Man. Remember where that is? Look at Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 9, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, now you know what that day is, it's the day that Jesus Christ returns to establish his kingdom. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. All right, you see that right there? Go back to Revelation chapter 10. Verse 10. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. You see, John is representing Israel. Remember, the church is gone at this point. This is God dealing with Israel on the earth. And that bitterness of realizing that this end of time is coming, and they're going to see Jesus again. That time is at an end. Now, look with me at Revelation chapter 21. And, you know, go ahead to Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God, and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. 
and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show unto His servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Time is precious. Time as we know it is going to end. That's what happens in Matthew chapter in Revelation chapter 10. Time as we know it is going to end. God said to John, I want you to write all of these things that are going to happen. There's more than 800 uh, allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. He's sealing up that sum. He's tying it all together. He's bringing it all together. And he told Daniel, seal up the prophecy of this book. And then he gives that little book to John and says, now open it up. And notice that book was open when he gave it to him. And he gives the rest of that information. And we have it. Now, those seven thunderings, we don't know what those seven thunderings are from Revelation chapter 10. We don't know what they are. God said, don't write that. But what he did write, he said, don't close that. It's an open book. And if you'll study it and learn it and keep it, then you'll have a special blessing. We need to understand the preciousness of time. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know when that's going to happen. We have no idea. But what we need to do in the meantime is we need to redeem the time. We need to take it back. We need to fill our time. Make every minute count with something for God. Then we need to affect the time and realize that our earnestness, the way that we live, affects the testimony that we have. Then we need to recognize the preciousness of time. It is going away so fast. What does God want you to do in 2019? Can you believe it's 2019? Sounds crazy to say it out loud. Sounds crazy. How many of you remember... Uh, Y2K, you know, the world was going to end in the year 2000. That's 19 years ago. It's just crazy how quick time is going by. God wants us to do something in 2019. Let's do it. Amen. Let's make sure that it is a special time of service for him. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach it and read it and study it.